You're experiencing the Authentic Chaos Podcast, an exploration into our inner selves and journeys of self-discovery. I'm your host, Vahagan Nernosian, and joining me today is Tessa Heeren. Welcome, Tessa. What's up, Vahagan? I see you flowing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great to be on Authentic Chaos, always. Yeah, it's great to have you on. You know, I've been I took a little bit of a of a break cuz I needed a little bit of a a mental cool down and just like mm. to process a lot of things I've been thinking about. So it's nice that you're able to come on on kind of short notice and have a chat. Yeah, that's like so the thing to do, right? I love I love having a mental health vacation. Mm-hmm. It's like I took a hiatus from comedy this summer and I came back like such a celebrity. Like anybody who's everybody has has taken a break for mental health reasons. Yeah. You know, Olympians, celebrities, everybody does it. Yeah. Like we don't it's not always as so obvious to us that we need a mental health break. It's not like when Mm. you exercise or like exert yourself physically, like your body is literally aching and that like is like, okay, I need a physical break. But mental health. And like mental energy especially just feels like we don't understand it well enough to know when we are kind of using up our battery. So true. Yes. Any any good workout regimen has rest days built in, right? Yeah. And and I don't think that that is such a good point, R. E. like mental <laughs> capacity and strain. Mm-hmm. To be stressed out, to be juggling a lot for a long period of time, you have to take a day off. Yeah. I read a book on scarcity and a big uh, one of the concepts that they were talking about was bandwidth. Like we have a certain amount of mental bandwidth and maybe it recovers at a certain rate. But if we are constantly doing like pushing ourselves mentally to keep like producing or whatever, we just keep using up our bandwidth. And if our bandwidth is always full and always used, we have no space for other things. And, you know, that can be, it can be really straining on us. Yes, I think that's like essentially the uh, the business model for like nonprofits <laughs> is like keeping them at such a, such a bandwidth of scarcity mm-hmm. that they can never like organize and, and actually reform the entire system that causes their existence. You know, they're like filling in these gaps of like social need. Yeah. You know, is a basic idea of nonprofits. I I I think at least. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, they're doing all of this work that's like just created by all of these systems that that put people out. You know, like they do things like. Uh, help people recover from domestic violence or like, you know, people who need to get their own housing to get away from like abuse or like any kind of situation. But yeah, anyway, yeah, no, nonprofits, they really run on that scarcity model. Yeah. They can't ever like, you know, get the same way that it does to people that you can't ever like reach the next level or, or stabilize to like springboard up into something new. If you're always off yeah, you know, and you you don't like have time to learn or like like yeah, explore, get, be creative. Leisure. Yeah, yeah. leisure. Leisure is yeah. so important. Like giving yourself the space to be bored. 
to exercise that like that nothing space where you can just create that's where like the yeah. most exciting things happen for me at least yeah don't you think it's so funny that our country has this um in the i don't know what document constitution <laughs> the pursuit of happiness don't you think that's so like like uh something i just don't see a lot of evidence of happening in this country like i feel like that means we should have mandatory vacations that's a good question happiness do you think how do you think what do you think of this happiness well i think it has a lot to do with uh it's such a long journey to get there, you know, it's so complicated. It, it has to do with uh, having things and people and places that you truly enjoy that really fulfill you and make you happy and having the time and resources to do those things, you know, and to even know yourself to that extent to really know what really makes you happy. So do you feel like... That takes a lot know, of leisure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like uh, people even know what their happiness is? Sometimes I doubt it. I think people will report it, but I don't see it in their eyes. <laughs> mm, yeah. <sighs> You have to wonder, like, I'm sure some people enjoy, like, the grind, like, being productive. Like, I've heard many people say they like, they love being productive. Um, but also, I've seen those same people be very stressed when, and very frustrated and upset and, like, showing a lot of negative emotions to something that they claim they love to do. And so, I wonder if, is, like, productivity really the pursuit of happiness or uh, is it something that we've thought we is we need to do to pursue happiness yeah right and this is this is a question that i think gets to that uh how well do you know yourself as a prerequisite to pursuing happiness because there's all these like false summits <laughs> in mm -hmm. my opinion about happiness and like what 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 people generally like strive for and some of it is really fueled by an external validation or a achievement of, you know, following, following the script that you were given. And that can be satisfying to an extent, I think, but I don't think necessarily really fully in very sustainably for everyone. Some people, I truly don't know. I truly think that like, you know, whatever, whatever a, a super typical way of life is, is really working for them, you know? Yeah. And you know, I'm sure there are some who are like genuinely deep down happy, but, and, um, but I think the, the point that you point out about internal happiness is important. How do you how do you think the internal versus the external happiness compares? Hmm. I mean, do you mean 
happiness via external well you said validation. like yeah the external validation like you said that people some people get mm -hmm. happiness through external validation yeah yeah internal. right right yeah i guess i'm i'm interested in like or i couldn't tell if you were asking about like a little bit more like performative happiness because there's that too there's also acting happy under any circumstances mm -hmm. and yeah, I mean, I guess, so the external validation component of happiness is like, you know, I've had different types of people I work with and some people I really genuinely respect and I want their validation. I want to do work that impresses them. I want to hear them say they think my work is good because I respect them. But then I've had periods in work where I don't respect anyone I work with. And then I'm like, how am I going to get anything done? You know, yeah. I'm like, and then, and then I have to find ways to really be like, okay, like, what are you, you know, what are you doing? Like, you have to like get this done somehow. And, and so then I rethink about it to be more like a internally validating, like I'll do things that, I can demonstrate or I can practice some skills that I like know I'm good at, like writing or doing some like different, I don't know, like analysis, doing some kind of creative stuff. Um, but yeah. And so then I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm doing this for me for different reasons, not even for this job, not even for this employer, but for actually literally just for me to like practice my skills and like build my skills, you know? Mm-hmm from yeah which which has a which has a different type of satisfaction rather than you know receiving a good performance review or good feedback you know yeah yeah what about outside of work oh that's a good question i know work is the most man this is like this is like tough i feel like i'm getting a f philosophically grilled <laughs> <laughs> That's what we do here on the Authentic Chaos podcast. But no, no, I mean. <laughs> Have you ever thought about being a philosopher? Actually, um, over the past couple months, I've definitely felt like I'm like shifting into philosopher mode. Totally. <laughs> like, over the past month, I've been just reading a lot like and or like over the past year, I've been reading a lot. But like last month, I read a book like a big book on cognition and consciousness and like it just got me thinking on like so many different levels that I'd never I hadn't really thought too much before yes yes I think it's a I think it's like a legitimate career path and I don't even think you need a degree in it to be a philosopher mm -hmm. I think you actually already are a philosopher yeah yeah, I mean, I think something like that has always, like, fit my vibe. Like, I've always, like, wondered how things work and, like, especially how I work and what yeah. I am. And, like, now I'm wondering, what is I? Mind Whoa. blown, right? <laughs> but I don't want to, I don't want to get... I don't want to get away from the initial question. I uh, yes, I'm thinking about it still. I was okay, okay, okay. A bit. <laughs> um, yeah, so RE, uh, RE validation and uh, purpose. 
right? We're talking about yeah, yeah, like out, outside of work. Happiness. What? How do you view mm-hmm. happiness? Wow, I mean, well, I don't know. I really do think it does start with this like moment of calmness mm-hmm. and reflection of really. I mean, it is so cheesy, but asking yourself, like, what do you need right now? Why is that cheesy? It, it Because it just is. It is just like so like social work, self-care. Mm-hmm. Like it's kind of a trope, like, but it's so true. But it's, it's a trope so for true. a reason, right? Yes. It's important yes. to do. It's It's one of those things that, you know, I feel like is a little... Like, it's just a little bit like gentr. It's just like gentrification of self-care thing, <laughs> you know, that you have to like, yeah, that it's like this idea that's being taught that's like uh, only accessible if you have like the right resources to be able to even enter this state of reflection and pursue this, you know, idea of like self-improvement, you know, but yeah. So well, yeah, no. But I maybe. Because, but does yeah. it have to be? For instance, I will. I will ask. I will pose this question to you. If you were born, uh, let's say, a couple hundred years earlier, and you were, and let's say, you were born in a situation where you had your basic needs met, would you be happy? Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> Um, like, I guess, I mean, you think it, you think it's an intrinsic quality to be happy? Like if I didn't have the same family and parents and upbringing? I, I mean, so I do, I like, uh, what's the time, uh, time period have to do? So the the, the main thing about the the time period are less. Yeah. Yeah. Like if we were, if we strip away all of the conveniences, all of the things that we've, we've learned to live with all of the material things that we thought we've like enjoyed now if without any of that would you be able to be happy oh totally yeah you'd probably have less desire you know That's yeah maybe less separating distraction. us separating us from happiness is our desire Ooh, i love that the only thing <laughs> separating us from our happiness is our desire maybe also i would say our expectations yeah, yeah. I feel I, like yeah. less money, less problems, you know? Yeah. And the less you're used to things being nice and like you having a bunch of things, the less you are expect having a bunch of things and more things. And really like going back to one of our earlier questions of is the how many people do you think really get validation or that deep happiness and fulfillment from material things? Oh, everyone. Oh, I mean, like literally, you know, all of these things have a cliff effect. It's like, yeah, oh, hell yeah, I love my new TV. And then it's like, as soon as you turn it on TV. Yeah. And then it's like, you know, for whatever reason, whether it's uh, advertising or, you know, your neighbor got a new TV or there's some kind of fucking 
upgrade the TV that streams in 4G LTRH mm-hmm. now and you have to get a new TV for that. Like there's always there's always a reason you're going to think that the t- the thing that you have now isn't good enough. Yeah. So I think it's so so unlasting and it it creates such a void in your self-worth like if so much of your worth is tied to possessions even if you have a really stable like income and you can maintain this like wealthy lifestyle and everyone's like oh i love uh your houses and your yachts whatever it's like then it puts so much strain on your income and it puts so much pressure on your like your job like you have to keep earning money because it's like part of who you are and part of the way people relate to you and like how you how you like network and spend time with people yeah and you have to keep going growing that number has to keep going up so you've got to keep working so that number keeps going up and you've got to put in more hours so that you can keep working better and get more money so you that number keeps going up yes and crushing civilians under your feet as you go desperately yeah and so here's a here's a bit of a maybe it's a rhetorical question, but what is self worth even worth? Shit, man. I mean, everything really. Like that's the only thing you have at the in the end. Ah. Uh, well, what do you think of it? What it, do you think of as self worth? Is it like the actual like monetary value of things you have, or is worth maybe not even the right word for what you're trying to describe? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't even thinking about money. Actually, I mean, I think so much of self worth is like a little bit what you what you tolerate for your world, you know. Like, I think that uh, some of self-worth is just deciding what you will and won't put up with and why, you know, it's a little yeah. bit about having boundaries and like, you're the only person who can control that. And like, you can really determine that and you, it depends on how much you believe in it. Like that's so much of self-worth is just being like, I deserve this, you know, I deserve to get whatever I want, whenever I want, whatever I need. And trying to make it happen. Yeah. It's. Hmm. Even if you fail, you know, even just the effort. How do you think you find out what you're worth? Oh, shit. That is that is a really, really interesting question. How do you find out what you're worth? Yeah. How have you found I mean, out what you're worth? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just been a lot of life experiences and people, relationships with people who have, uh, quote unquote, seen me, recognized mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. you know, uh, encouraged me, supported me, helped me, uh, helped me see what I have to offer and to share. Yeah. And. Yeah. And God, you know, I think like more like uh, scientifically, it probably has a lot to do with like 
your like self self image self esteem development which actually happens like pretty early in life like around like seven years old you know mm-hmm. so like you know it has a lot to do with with how stable my life was at that time you know I had a good family and all of that sure I think for me like I I like had a pretty poor sense of self-value and I didn't really even consider much of my self-value as like uh, in a lot of different contexts. Um, and a big change shift for me was when I started to define my own self-value, when I started to reflect on who I was and what I was and seeing that I'm not like a, a socially inept like nerd, but I'm this richer, more complex person. Mm-hmm. I'm like this, this being full of like thoughts and reflections and the ability to be patient with myself and with others and to reflect and to listen and engage and transform and to touch people in like in like certain ways like mentally and emotionally and like really evoke beautiful things within people that I may or may not even know and I think through that, I realized that my worth is immeasurable and maybe self-worth isn't even the right, uh, isn't the right word, but it's like the, the inherent value of being, being a sentient being. Wow. Yes, I totally um, resonate with that. And, and I think that, you know, kind of what you spoke to as far as like, being able to see your own journey and where you've come from and where you've gone and to be able to know that like, you know, at one time I felt this way and I aspired to feel this way or to kind of build this, build this trait or this skill and I've done it. That can inspire so much self-worth, you know, if you, and it's cool to see that stuff happen, you know, um, to be able to, to be able to change yourself and grow and be like, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to strengthen this side of myself and to be able to practice it and achieve it. That can have a lot of internal uh, happiness, you know, that growth. I think that's, that's a really good, uh, a really good one, a good source. Yeah. And I, I truly believe you cannot like, you can't really know what your definition of happiness is until you kind of understand yourself and look inward and see who you are and what your needs and values are. Mm-hmm. Without that, it's kind of like uh, shooting darts at a wall or like shooting in the dark. You don't know where, you don't know, you can try a bunch of different things, but if you don't pay attention to how it feels, you will never know which ones are actually like fulfilling you. Yes, and and I think so many people are doing that and kind of feeling that way, feeling a little just disoriented in their own life direction. Yeah. And I I to, I understand it because I've been there, you know, and I'm uh it's just like it's interesting to think about and I've been in this place of like low self-worth and like really uh relying on a lot of external validation and really like it similarly seeking always seeking you know being like what should i be who should i be what would be a good 
course to, you know, fit in, to get to the next level, to, you know, earn this um, respect or approval from whoever you're, you're looking for. And it has this like, right, just kind of like frantic feeling to it of just like, it's like trying to chase a moving target when you're seeking that. Yeah, yeah, and because it, it is a moving target because you've tied your happiness to something you can't control, something that's completely outside of you, something that basically is chaotic, this chaotic system. So it become like happiness, finding happiness becomes a wild goose chase. Yes, yes, and 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 everybody's telling you how to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, people are telling you how to how to run faster, how to how to like uh, be more efficient about trying to catch this goose, <laughs> how to yes. get like buy my goose catching equipment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Or it's like, yeah, here's a pill that'll make you feel like you caught the goose. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. We'll take out loans to catch more geese. <laughs> yeah. If you want a goose today, you can pay for it for the rest of your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Goose payment plan. Goose payday advance. You loan know, you could, advance. We're coming up with a whole goose-based economy. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> actually, you know, it actually kind of does sound like fun to chase. <laughs> you know, I mean, it sounds like really frustrating, but like, I don't know. It could be fun, like a little game, like a game that you'd play at Thanksgiving or something. Yeah, yeah. It, it sounds fun to do once in a while, but I don't know if I'd want to like tie my happiness to it. <laughs> if you didn't because if you didn't catch the goose and you're like oh, i'm gonna have a terrible day now <laughs> i really like that i feel like that's like a good email signature i like really don't want to tie my happiness to this <laughs> sign off <laughs> yeah and i yeah. i think that some people get offended when you kind of um exert an opinion like that especially in a work environment because people are if you are tying your whole soul to this singular endeavor that is outside of you, but like for your nonprofit or your company, whatever, you're spending so many hours and you hear some one of your coworkers say, Hey, I'm not gonna tie my I'm not gonna like tie my happiness to this. If I I'll get oh, it done totally when I get it done. Like, nope. <laughs> There's hell to pay. <laughs> Record scratch. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's <What? laughs> everyone goes quiet in the office. But but the deadline, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the deadline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I mean, isn't that interesting? I know, I think there is a little bit of a don't break the fourth wall feeling. At, oh, yeah, oh, in yeah. Some, in some workplaces where it's, well, don't, like, talk about, like, you know, like, the deep shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. They'll like you mentioned something like that, and you, yeah, everyone looks at each other all nervous, being like, "So, what's gonna happen?" <laughs> it's like, could they possibly be suggesting that they value their own lives over their workplace duties? Shun. Are you supposed to talk Shun. about that here? Shun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
And yeah. I get it. You're if you felt like you've put so much of your time and your life into this thing, and you see someone so flippantly being like, "Hey, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna kill myself over this deadline. If we're a couple days late, does it really matter?" You say, "Yes, it does matter." You know how many oh, like late nights I put in. Yes, yes, the enforcers of the of the culture. Yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah, I know. They've embodied it. They've internalized it. They've become it. Yeah. And you know... To, uh, to uh, no one's benefit. It really is to no one's benefit. And I, I, I refer to this as like you adopting your company or your, your group's needs. Right? Like sometimes a group of people like a nonprofit or a company or a community, they like it... It's it be, it becomes an entity that has its own needs, and to enforce those needs, you need to get people to agree to those needs. And so I feel like a lot of people, and I noticed this within myself at a later date upon reflection, that I had adopted my company's needs as my needs. So productivity uh. and efficiency made me feel good because it was good for my company. Solving problems at work made me feel good because it was good for my career. But none of these were actually unique to the company. Like I solve problems all the time. I just don't have like a company to do it with. Right. You don't have like a documentation of it essentially. Like that's all the company does is like uh, make it into products, I guess. Make your labor and time into things yeah wow i once i had a friend suggest or maybe i suggested that i think (laughs) an interesting public experiment that would really help people break out of their of their mindsets would be if we just microdose the water supply just a little bit just enough to give people a nice (laughs) little buzz I was just saying to my friend this weekend, I actually think people kind of need a little bit of a macro dose. (laughs) I think people might need the full like melting away of all societal norms and roles. Mm -hmm. But that can be scary. Total cleanse. I think what people refer to as ego death, um, when especially on psychedelics, uh, I think it's when the things you define yourself by get washed away mm-hmm. and you no longer you feel like you are a stranger in your own body not because you have transcended and have like your soul has been sl- split away from your body but just because you are experiencing yourself in a new way it's still mm-hmm. you it's just you are now using a different different perceptive filter to understand you. Yes, and it gives you the question. The question that's scary is, now that I see all of these layers of myself that are not important or not, uh, I don't know, whatever gets stripped away, once I see myself without that, what's left, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's the scary thing. I think for a lot of people, it's like, oh, once you take the exoskeleton off, it's like there's not much inside, you know? 
Yeah. And I think I feel so lucky to have experimented in psychedelics at such a young age for that reason, because I think it gets scarier and scarier, like the more of your life you build up with this like uh, facade of so many things that are just like kind of assigned by like societal statuses and stuff, you know, just like your income, uh, who your friends are, what your job is, who your family is, where you live at, all of that stuff that just like is so important. And in, in a day-to-day life, if you, you know, if you so subscribe to that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, to have all of that washed away is like, it would it would cause like a general spiral, downward spiral, yeah. But you know, I don't want to. You know, we've been talking a lot about some of the scarier things, but mm-hmm. I want. But I want to emphasize that this is such a small portion of what psychedelics can provide. Psychedelics are a spectrum, and a lot of the things that are scary actually go away with time and experience and with understanding yourself. And I think it was, it's been an important part of my journey of understanding who I am because it's allowed me to experience myself in new ways and in non in new non-judgmental ways. And when I remove that judgment, I learn something. I learn something that I appreciate and I always take away a lesson that helps build on my beliefs and my values. Yes, and the wonderful thing about psychedelics is that it does have this real tangible effect of retraining your neural pathways. And so and so yes, yeah, so what you just described almost sounded effortful you know, to like think about mushrooms as a tool to get to know yourself and better understand yourself. Mm-hmm. And it it's interesting because it's not effortful, you know, that's what the, that's what the, uh, that's what the uh, chemical facilitates is like uh, reducing this effort. And it's just like, bam, yeah. like you're just like seeing yourself in a different way and you're just like, whoa. And the ben- the good thing is like, you can always return to that, you know? It's not something you only experience during this trip and then you lose it forever and you forget it. It's like you can always uh, think about that state of mind and, like, reflect, and you can always, like, yeah, you can always... um, It's, yeah, it's not a hallucinogenic thing that you, like, lose. It's, like, it brings you closer to yourself and it's... The hallucinogens are such a small portion of it. In fact, like I only rarely do I even see like visual visual hallucinations. A lot of time it's just me noticing things that I really hadn't noticed before. Like the move the intricate movements of trees or mm. the or like clouds dissipating <laughs> up on by. Things that I in my normal life I don't give enough attention to. Like, how many times do you watch as the sun burns away clouds and seeing them dissolve right in the sky above you? 
it's it's a really cool thing to experience but because they, it happens on such a slow time frame and i feel so distracted all the time i just i don't really like stop to pay attention yes it's so true yes i was camping with my friend this weekend and and we did some mushrooms and like we we're like yep this is our this is what we'll do we're gonna eat these mushrooms and we're gonna go sit in the woods and just sit there we're taking two chairs mm -hmm. two waters and we're just like watching the sunset and it's like uh -huh. two hours and it's like two hours until sunset right yeah. <laughs> and and like you, we were talking about this too we we're just like this feels so good it feels so good to just like be with some good company hanging in the forest watching the leaves fall down you know and and we we're just kind of like yeah this is like definitely like part of the you know drug-induced effect but also we should do this like we should just like make time for like this like quiet like mindfulness and and yeah we both thought it was interesting that like we wouldn't necessarily just spend our time like that you know it doesn't yeah. seem like it's enough right it's amazing how much how little enough is like you said it's almost effortless and it's not just like the the mushrooms themselves that make it effortless it's like i think it's like a good reminder that to be mindful and how mindfulness becomes effortless in okay. the beginning maybe it becomes like a maybe there is a little effort to like build your build your ability to be aware and your general awareness but once you do have that it just comes and mm -hmm. you don't have to like consciously think about look at this beautiful scenery around me you just ex you just appreciate the beautiful scenery around you yes it retrains your brain totally mm -hmm. yeah and um yeah oh i had another thought about about something and i lost it i i do want to ask you because uh, one thing that I've always found interesting about mushrooms especially is that there are, no matter what time period or who it is, there are these consistent experiences that people people like talk about and write down. Um, like uh, like belonging in nature, right? You felt mm. this like this affinity with nature. How did how did that feel for you? Oh, it was so cool, you know. Uh... I think some of it has to do with the hallucinogenic effect in that, uh, you know, along with the kaleidoscoping that people talk about, mm -hmm. this is the, this is what I see when I think about the trees and the clouds is like the wisps of the clouds are just like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. they're dissipating, but they're also like, you know, just kind of like spiraling a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah waving around. Tessellating. Yeah. Um, but Yes. So there's that part that you're like, kind of like, whoa, fascinated by these natural things. But like, um, which isn't isn't the same if you're looking at a bookcase in a room or that you're if you're looking at a like kitchen or something, you know, it's yeah. not like that. Like, it's actually like more visually appealing, like the things in nature. Um, but it's also yeah, it, it is a uh, feeling. I remember doing some other uh cactus based oh trip. like uh mescaline, mescaline. <laughs> yeah. yeah and that i felt 
so literally connected to the earth. Like I didn't want to walk on the sidewalk. I was like, I want to walk only on the grass because I can feel the concrete separating me and the earth. Yeah. You know? And like, I felt like I was like, like I could feel like the pulse, like the presence of the trees and like their roots under the ground and just like their extensive network. I was just like aware of their, uh, presence yeah yeah and that's wild right like how uh like and maybe it's because these are like things that come from nature but it's crazy to think that just by changing how you perceive things you feel this these relationships that you didn't recognize before Mm -hmm. like on um one trip that i had um, it was springtime and I was walking through this park full of beautiful trees and I felt these like deep emotional relationships with trees like I like the flowers smelled like it evoked some like really powerful emotions with me that felt like uh, it felt deep and loving. Wow. Yeah, and I natural. love every time I do I do mushrooms I need to ground i need to walk i I love walking on the ground barefoot Mm. because um do you have you done much grounding or earthing are you i didn't know that there was like really a verb like that so no (laughs) i i learned about it like kind of recently and there there is actually science behind this so like um when so the way it works is that when the fo- from when the light rays from the sun reach the earth, it's absorbed by the plants and stuff, right? Well, upon that absorption, positive ions are left on the surface of the earth. And those positive ions actually can get absorbed through your skin and help balance a lot of the negative ions that you have building up, which is really important for like a lot of mental health effects, which is why a lot of people feel depressed when they're stuck indoors for too long. It's not just not Mm -hmm. seeing the sun. It's also literally not touching grass, not interacting with nature. And the shoes we have oftentimes have rubber soles and rubber is an insulator. So you can't get this effect when you're wearing shoes. You have to like actually touch with your skin. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So how at, do you practice it then? Just with your feet or do yeah, you yeah. ever just, you just do like I just a take full off my shoes and socks skin. and start walking <laughs> on the face, ground. Full fucking fucking face plant. <laughs> if you really if you're really feeling down, yeah, you I'm can face plant. <laughs> I got a lot of catching up to do. I'm gonna belly flop it. <laughs> no, no, just just feet will do. Just feet will do. Um but so I always tell people when you're on shrooms, just try it. Just try it. Definitely be outside because inside uh-huh. always to me feels claustrophobic. It just doesn't it doesn't feel the same. I have a compulsion to be outdoors. And, you know, take your shoes off. Get your like get connected with the earth around you. Like that's the whole point. To feel this connection with everything with the things around you so you might as well get connected yes yes and release all inhibition 
you know, I think people start to overthink things and they're like, well, yeah, I'd like to do that. But won't I look weird if I'm not wearing shoes? It's just like, yes. And don't ever judge anyone for not wearing shoes again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but also it's just like, like let go of it and never, never enforce it again. But also you're assuming that anyone's going to pay attention to you. Yeah, right. Most right. people are so stuck in their own worlds, they're not paying attention to what you're wearing or what you're doing. Yeah. Oftentimes, at least around here, they're trying to avoid you. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, people but I mean but I mean people get caught up in this. It's like why no one's walking around barefoot now, you know? Yeah. I mean, also, I, I wouldn't walk around barefoot uh, in the city because concrete on my bare feet would be kind of painful. And sure. I don't want to, like, have a bunch of calluses on my feet. So I reserve <laughs> okay. it. I reserve it for for like uh, natural, more natural environments. <laughs> OK. All right. There's limitations. There's okay. limitations. <laughs> you're, not going, you're not going full, full fucking hippie here <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, i blame the concrete like you know it, it, they're their shoes are very useful for city environments yeah no one wants calloused feet either mm -hmm. you know like in your bed uh <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you can't have that you got to take care of the feet so um what are some other things you've learned uh through some of your trips Good questions. You know, I, I mean, I have, I have, uh, my experience with psychedelics was like maybe a little bit, uh, I don't know, borderline overdoing it experimentation when I was younger and more recently I've been using it in a more, um, uh, strategic Mindful or regimented way. way. Well, yes, yeah, Mindful, but also like literally regimented, right? Like, mm like trying some of these like microdose um, itineraries. I don't okay. know if you've looked into these. No, I haven't heard about these. Yes. Well, there's a couple of different like schools of thought on like microdosing frequency. And, and you know, I've been using it in a uh, way to kind of like, kind of, I have this, I have this idea that mushrooms are so good for this like mental cleanse, right? Of just kind of like, yeah being being on a just just clearing out the cobwebs that build up in your head and just kind of starting with like a clean slate of like you know who you are what your intentions are what your goals and dreams are mm -hmm. but yeah the the microdosing has been really interesting because it's like uh a lot more you know a lot less like like you kind of go about your regular day right but you do it in a different way. It just kind of like, it's not something that you stop and you're like, I'm going to go sit in the woods and, yeah. and spend my time outside. It's, it's like, nice. it invites that a spirit of that or a piece of that into your daily life. But it also has a little bit of a, you know, you have this extra energy and, and you're feeling like it's extra, like, mental stimulation, you know, a little bit more thinking quicker or like making more connections and feeling more sensitive. And it's so good for like creative pursuits. I mean, 
I've, yeah, it's, it's good for just like, yeah, daily kind of, uh, checking it's I've kind of like, I guess like thought about it as like a little bit of a substitution for other substances like alcohol or weed. Like it's Mm -hmm. like kind of got that still just like a euphoric, like just kind of like chill out after whatever you had to do all day is over. It has kind of of that, but it also has a little bit of a stimulant. Yeah, it's less uh, of a depressant like alcohol. Yeah, yeah. So I've learned through mushrooms, like, I really think that it's an excellent daily drug. <laughs> or I mean, I think it's like a really, it can be a tool that's used in many different ways. And I think that you can use it on a small scale on a daily basis. And it's like, has so few consequences you know like there's i i just like can't i can't identify any real like drawbacks Mm -hmm. you know there's like not like the hangover i mean i don't know if it i don't know if expense or cost is a thing i don't really buy that much to like really have it affect me like that but I mean, it's certainly a lot, uh, a lot cheaper for effect than like alcohol. Like, yeah. If you wanna, if you want like a beer, it's like eight or eight dollars sometimes. Yeah, yeah, totally. And it's just like the the effects are completely different. I actually feel like I feel a lot more like socially uh aware and more empathetic which is a total opposite when it comes to like alcohol people get oblivious and like you know oversight they step on people's feelings and stuff and that yeah you know i'm just like thinking about the different effects and consequences and like i feel like yeah it's just a better choice like to have a fun night (laughs) <laughs> I agree. Every time I do mushrooms, I want to dance. I want to yeah, move. Totally. Like I want to chat. Like I'm so talkative. When I'm like, do, when I'm drinking, I'm like just feeling like I'm. Sometimes I'm fighting the urge to like fall asleep. Right. Right. I know. I know. Yeah. And it's interesting because like I think that alcohol is so often you it, it is a depressant and it's so often used yeah. as a stimulant like people will go out to party and get drunk and you you know there's something to the chemistry of what's going on and how the how the effects are actually like it feels like a stimulant but it's a depressant you know mm-hmm. i wish i knew i wish i knew more about it yeah, it's I I think people forget that we assume that like alcohol and like nicotine and caffeine are like these free things that we can do. And there's no mm-hmm. there's no downside, but like something like psychedelics or weed, that's scary cuz it can change you. It can change who you are. You can mm. do crazy things. But in reality, all of these drugs have psychoactive components to them. Like when you're on on caffeine, you get that caffeine high and that buzz. On nicotine, you get a similar thing, and it's very addictive. Alcohol is a depressant, and like all of these things, they will they don't change who you are. They can bring out certain things about you, but they don't change you. The way you act on these on these drugs is 
not is who is based on what you have going on and what you are bringing with you. Mm-hmm. And, and the way you habitualize it. Yeah, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. alcohol is very more is more commonly going to bring out the bad things in you way more commonly than like psychedelics will. There are certainly cases of people having bad trips, but there are way more cases of people getting angry or upset or sad on on alcohol. Mm. Yes. And, and, you know, I think that this kind of ties back to like people sometimes uh, fears of like diving into this internal facing state that is the trip experience. And that like, I think alcohol is like such a great escape from stressors. If you're stressed out, it's like, yep, I'm going to get buzzed up. And I'm just like, not going to think about that, which is fine. You know, there's no, I totally get that that's effective and real to just like not think about it for a while. But like, I feel like I've had times when I've had opportunities or occasions that I'm like, yeah, I could do mushrooms, but I'm actually not feeling uh, mentally good for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And there's, there's times when it's just like, I know that I'm going to have to face these things if i if i choose to go if i choose to have this uh psychedelic experience yeah and it's like and to be able to kind of get through that or to be able to get yourself in a place where you feel good about where you're at with things and you're not scared to like dive into things that you've been putting off or you know avoiding things i think that's a real like you know, check-in indicators, like, it's actually a good question. It's like, would you, would you take three and a half grams of mushrooms right now? (laughs) And it's like, if you're feeling good enough to do that, like mentally, that's a good, you're in a good place, you know, I feel like it's a good check-in. That's, that's a really good litmus test because you're right. (laughs) Like if you're, if you're not in a state where, if you're in a state where you think you'd have a bad trip, you're, you probably Mm -hmm. shouldn't be doing any drugs. You shouldn't Mm -hmm. be drinking. You shouldn't be like smoking. Like just like there are things that you, you know, you recognize you need to work on. Yeah. And sometimes it's just like, yeah, you know, you get busy and you just put it off and it's like you just let it sit there and simmer for a while. But like why are why are we so busy that we don't have the time to work mm. to like deal with our own traumas and our own issues? Like if there's a problem at work, we like we jump <laughs> we jump like head first so into true. it. But if there's a problem with us, we're like Oh, it's fine. I'll ignore it for the next like 10 years and hopefully it won't be a problem later. <laughs> so true. <laughs> I'll put that off for 10 years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's so true, right? And I, yeah. I think some of some of these some of the things that you have to confront with yourself are a little uncomfortable and they do take a little like processing uh whether it's like uh what is this? You know this with your with your education and skills with computers like the background processing yeah some stuff you just like let it sit back there and sometimes you really have to focus on it Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and maybe to, to tie this to our our earlier conversation maybe we are so many of us are so willing to push these problems off because it doesn't seem worthwhile to work on them Mm. maybe Mm. it's because we don't 
naturally see the worth in ourselves in like dealing with these issues. Wow. I hot think take? it's so true. Is that a hot take? Hot take. <laughs> right off the presses. Yeah, no, I think that's a, such a good point too is like I think so many people like just continue this perpetuation of their own uh, avoidance and own willingness to live in a state that's less than ideal, mm-hmm. you know, and to just be like, well, I can do it. I'm pulling it off. Like I'm covering all my bases and you know, no one seems to notice. I'm like, I haven't not- fallen apart yet. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that's a, another interesting component of self-worth is like how immediately do you want to prioritize your needs? You know, mm-hmm. how long do you want to put it off and postpone it for more important things? Yeah. And, but what, what is more important than our own needs? Nothing. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of anything. Literally nothing. Maybe you could say the needs of others if you're feeling altruistic, but I would argue that how can you help others if you haven't like dealt with your own needs first? It's like if you're if you're hungry, you're not going to be able to help someone out with their like their relationship troubles because mm-hmm. you have this you have this physical need in you. Likewise, yeah. if you are sleep deprived, you can't help anyone with anything because you're like just you're not operating at like a hundred percent. You your bandwidth is like so limited. Yeah, it's so true, and and I would argue that even in the cases of parents and children, in the way that parents are so self sacrificing to meet their children's needs first. Yeah. I feel like that's part of their needs. <laughs> I think so you know, too. Oh, like yeah. it's it's like literally like, you know, beyond their control that they feel that they really need to take care of this child more than themselves and that like becomes part of their needs. Yeah. But it's much different than an external validation, you know. It's not so much like like, I, I feel like there's, like, some, like, real foundational changes that happen. Some people have kids that changes all of that, that they I, are I think constantly the tired and hungry. I think it's the empathy you get when you recognize that this other person is just like me, is, like, an extension, is, like, very similar to me. In fact, so similar mm. to me that they came from me. So it, you can't help but have this idea of empathy. In fact, this is something to care I, for them is to care for yourself. This is something I actually reflected on a while back on one of my yeah, trips. Open it up. I, okay, you can pick one, and then you have to pick a random one. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, oh, and I, in fact, uh, I, in fact, uh, like uh, ended up um, going on the right page, and so I have this little drawing. I'll, I'll try to show it. I don't know if it'll really show very Light well. I your computer camera. There we go. It's too blurry. Okay. Um. Well, I, I tried. Anyway, so I had this idea, this realization that uh, I was thinking about what is empathy, right? How okay. do you, def- like, why is empathy such an important emotion for us? And w- so I'm thinking of the fact that, like, okay, thinking about survival. What do you need for a, a complex species to survive? Well, you know, if you, it, to 
overcome a lot of predators that are more physically are physically stronger than you, physically faster than you. You need to have this idea that other things outside of you are you, are also you. So, uh, for instance, like we as uh, we as Homo sapien uh, are social creatures, but we're like we're not the only social creatures, right? The concept of a family develops where you need this. So we start with me, and then we have this concept of a family. So a group of a group of like-minded me's that are like that I recognize as me. But then as we've as we grew from families um, and started to we started to develop like small communities or tribes or whatever you want to call them, groups of families that come together and realize that they can support each other's needs. Maybe they can form gathering parties and uh, and gather more food or they can help each other build more shelter. So there's this need to like expand and then as we grew in population we had this need for even bigger communities the first cities started to develop at around like 5000 bc of these independent nomadic peoples coming together to solve even greater problems and starting that's when we start to see like language start to develop and or written language starting to develop and then mm-hmm. we see these, and then this builds. And as we had more and more of these cities develop, we had like empires and then countries. And at some point, where does it extend, right? At what? At some point, we'll recognize, oh, we are a global population. So this concept of empathy, I see as an extension of your of you to others outside of you. Yes, and in between all of that, is all of this division and structuring of society that says, you know, here's here's this group of people, here's people who have the same race as you, here's people who have the same gender as you, here's people who have the same class as you, mm-hmm. income wise, you know, here's here's who is part of your group in some ways and here's who's not. And uh yeah. That's the only thing that's going on in between for whatever reason that those differences are exploited or, uh, you know, um, usable to some people that that it doesn't seem that doesn't seem that we are uh, naturally inclined to understand people in the world globally as our own. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's difficult when we are so used to seeing everyone outside of us as different from us. And the beauty of mushrooms is one of the consistent experiences that people have talked about all throughout the ages that people have done mushrooms is this concept of oneness, this concept Mm. that we are all a part of this similar uh, this the similar threads that there's a lot less that's differentiating us than we think there is if you look down if you look down far enough into what makes up what we are we're all the same we're all the same like carbon based life forms we're all the we're all have very similar dna we're all of the same species 
Yes, and you know, I would actually argue that this is part of that ego death experience too, and mm-hmm. that to discover that oneness takes all that stripping away of all of those other identities and things that you uh, affiliate with uh, existence that you lose when you're when you've altered your you know brain state. But like, yeah, you know, you get left with this with this being of yourself that just is like has nothing to do with all these uh, earthly tangible things and it's very vulnerable and it is and it also has that oneness like you feel just kind of opened up to the world and you're like this is it this is me this is all I have and it's like I you have like you have nothing but yourself and your own spirit and it's like natural it fits in I think that's the important thing, though. You aren't alone. You are a part of this this universal fabric. You are. Um, there was one time, uh, one trip where I was enjoying the sun, and I was my feet were on the cool earth, and I felt, I felt like this celestial conduit this conduit between celestial beings the Mm. energy from the sun from millions of miles away came all the way through my skin down to the earth below what was i but a part of this beautiful system that has no understanding of me doesn't even notice me but i am a part of it wow and that is how i started to understand self-worth that it's my self-worth isn't just in what i bring as a collection of thoughts but also in the fact that i am i am this conscious sentient being and i am part of this greater system just like everyone else Mm. so i don't see myself as having significantly more self-worth than anything else i see my self-worth as being inherent in being a being being a part of this world do you think philosophers ever did drugs I feel like we're on the precipice. Oh, never! They never of, did any drugs. No, come! On. Are you are you pulling my leg? I yeah, of course tell. they did drugs. <laughs> okay. Everyone was doing drugs back. You know, okay. Mushrooms is actually one of the oldest drug that we we have reference to that people have done. Wow! wow. It's even yes. older than even older than alcohol. We have we know that in. Um, I think in Algeria, the cave paintings dating back to 9,000 years ago um, showed like shamans use like with mushrooms as part of using them as part of rituals and things like that. It was a crucial part of our societies and probably part of our myth making. So good. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I think. I think we were on the, I think therefore I am track. Yeah. Coming back to a universal truth that some of your self-worth is, and this, you know, kind of comes, comes to this idea of like, 
so much of your self-worth is really guided by your thoughts inside your head, the patterns of thoughts that you have. Mm -hmm. And to be able to control that and change that is so powerful. Sometimes it feels like self-delusion to be able to reframe your experiences into something that is like uh, a growth mindset frame or a, you know, uh, think, you know what I mean? Like to, to be able to like uh, alter your attitude towards things to improve your existence and your reality. Sure. But why? Why does it feel delusional or... Well, this is, I don't think it really is, but I mean, it, it feels like one option is to get caught up in stuff and to always be, I'm trying to think of a good example, you know, it's kind of hard to, I to think I've got it without, I yeah. might have a good, I might have a good example because this is part of the book that I just finished reading. Yeah. Um, it was a, it was a. It was like a book exploring consciousness as the author like understood his own consciousness and through his own readings. And it's really it's really fascinating because um, it, it starts with the idea that in math, in formal systems in math, when people were trying to understand all theories about numbers, they found that strange things happen when you have a rule that r references itself and negates itself. For instance, if you have a, a rule set and you say this theorem is not provable in that rule set, well, what happens? Really weird things. You get these loops that then build on top of each other. And so, so uh, going on that, we, we think of our minds, at, and when we think of our minds, we think of our brains normally. We think of the neural connections and the neurons themselves. And it's well known that people, like, the brain stops developing at about 25. But that's mm -hmm. the hardware of the brain that stops developing. Your thoughts, your conscious, mm. the things that build up who you are and how you understand your mind, that is very malleable. That's so if the the brain is like your hardware maybe it doesn't change much without like drugs or surgeries which you want to avoid as much as you can but your thoughts are the software and you can change the software and our like our consciousness is uh has this this prop this property where it's these like rule systems that can reflect on themselves and then change themselves. And then the yes. act of changing those rules creates a new layer and that layer has rules and then you can reflect on that layer and that change those rules and that creates another layer. Yes. Yes. So, okay. And I think, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to it's a lot to really reflect I'm on. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking about um, time as an example of something which is so bound by quote unquote rules as far as 
calculating, counting minutes and the passage of time, mm. which is ridiculous, right? I mean, like, what kind of rules do you even mean? Because there are no universal rules of time. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. That'd be like I'm that'd be like count, saying I'm counting time. Yeah, it'd be <laughs> like saying I'm counting the distance between <laughs> for random things. Like, it, it, why? It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know. I try to explain this to people who are pissed at me for being late. And I'm just like, like, dude, you're subscribing to something that's just like non-existent. It's invented like the time is passing in a qualitative way. You can't quantify it. Yeah. And even how we understand time is completely subjective. I've noticed that my perception of time has slowed relative to like a lot of people my age their perception of time increases as they get older for me I feel like I've become aware enough that I I I can slow my time and notice more of my time and it's not like I've time traveled and that like I can change the time as to how it's how we understand time is really a mental representation a mental like representation of like cycles totally and I would add another intrinsic property of a psychedelic trip is that you are, I mean, some of my first trips, I was like completely like obsessed by this. I'm like, what time is it? What time is it? Time is moving so fast. Time is moving so slow. You know, it was so distorted. Yeah. And I just was like, I was just like, what, what? Like, I couldn't believe it because it had a, uh, changed changed my experience of time so much Mm -hmm. yeah yeah i've i noticed too that like i time goes feels like it goes slower Mm -hmm. or like i because i i just noticed or maybe it's maybe it's the other way it feel like it always feels later than it is your experiences feel so full yeah it's like i'm always thinking I'm like, you know, five, five years pass and five minutes kind of feeling like I'm like, wow, really? It's only been this amount of time. I've had so many thoughts and feelings, you know? Oh, yeah. I had some really exciting thoughts on, uh, well, in the last couple trips, especially, but like two trips ago, I had some really interesting, some really interesting thoughts that I wrote down in my philosophy journal. Okay, you can pick, you can pick. You can pick one. You still have to pick a random one. I have to pick a random one? Yeah, like just flip to the pages and I'll say stop. Uh, pick, so I have six of them. Pick a number one through six. Okay. Four. Okay. Six okay. what? Entries? These are So these are part of my personal philosophy. So this one is called Love and Power Seldom Coexist. In any relationship... Love and power compete in a zero-sum game. The more, love that, the more love that flourishes, the less room for power and vice versa. Power relies on the enforcement of hierarchy. The relationship between an employee and their boss cannot be one of love when strict hierarchies are enforced. An employee's position at the company and their very relationship with their boss requires the employee to follow the power imbalance. Can a relationship of love devolve to power? Certainly. The most tragic but not rare example is the relationship between a parent and child. 
The relationship can be tarnished if the parent fails to give up their power that was helpful when their child、mm. was defenseless. This power imbalance can become controlling as the parent views their child as an extension of themselves as opposed to an independent, sentient person. How can we reclaim love? Honestly explore and discuss what power imbalances exist in your relationship. Work to either balance the scales of power or, more preferably, explore how you can dismantle these hierarchies. This may seem radical, but it is achievable and opens honest dialogue about the state of the relationship. When power is dismantled, love can blossom. Wow, dude. Truly a mental giant. <laughs> I think it's、Thank、so、you. true. And, and, you know, I think about it in a, in a gendered way, too, in a hetero relationship way, too, in that I feel that there are so many、uh, inauthentic relationships that are、uh, based in power dynamics.、Mm-hmm. And some of those power dynamics have to do with things like health insurance, not particularly gendered at all. It's、yeah. like who has the best health insurance? <laughs> And、you、that's、know? oftentimes tied to job here in America. Uh huh. Yeah. And,、uh, you know, of course, there's the salary and there's the, there's the breadwinning aspect of relationships and、mm-hmm. power.、Um, There's, there's social connections and、um, different ways that, that that creates power in relationships. But yeah, I mean, I think that until we can really get to a point where, where、uh, the power dynamics and genders are changed, and I don't think there is really a lot of. Opportunities for true love and heterosexual relationships. Well, but maybe, maybe not in general. If we look at like,、uh, like power imbalances created through like patriarchal systems, but、mm-hmm. I think that individuals, like individual relationships, can tackle this on at that the individual level. You like, and that's why this is more like a A call to people, the people who are listening, who are in these relationships. Like, take the conscious effort to make sure that if, the, to like be honest with yourself, if there are these power imbalances and if the power imbalances are getting in the way of love. Yes. And, and I think that a, an essential component to that is both people recognizing the power imbalance that's inherent、mm-hmm. to、uh, gender. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, and that, that, that is a disruption of the, of the patriarchy's power in itself for, for both people to be able to be like, yeah, you know, <laughs> this is what it's like in society. And、uh, it, it's interesting, right? Because it's like, yeah, I think there's a lot of, I think there's also a lot of power dynamics that don't have to do with money so much as like status. I think there's like, A little bit of a feeling that a lot of women are waiting for men to complete their lives、mm, or、yeah. looking for that. And that's a power dynamic. That's a power imbalance, right? 
oh, definitely. for definitely to feel to feel that your fulfillment and happiness relies on a relationship, um, which I don't think that men feel quite as quite the same way, you know, perhaps, but like, but like women feel like a certain like loss of like worth or purpose if they don't have that. And men, it's like, yeah, like bachelor life forever. It's cool. It's fun, you know? Yeah. It isn't as much of an existential crisis if a man doesn't find a partner. Right. Sometimes like uh, some of my guy friends will talk about it and be like, yeah, it'd be nice to have someone to like clean up and like cook or something. (laughs) Why don't you do that? You want a mother and the nice point, to have some free staff around. Yeah, and they kind of do. Like mm-hmm. they kind of do want want a mother, and they because yeah. the patriarchy teaches us that women are the caretakers and women are the emotional providers. Men don't have to work on their emotional needs and figure out who they are on a deeper level because women will take care of that for them. Yes, yes, which is all part of the a power imbalance and. And a power imbalance, which is socially constructed to devalue emotional intelligence. Yes. You know, and it's it's like almost a weakness. And it's like, yeah, to, to devalue some of that stuff is constructed and women's strength. Isn't it funny how yeah. similar structures like patriarchy and capitalism and maybe even some religions in a lot of cases, they're all about uh, shaming us for our emotions or devaluing our emotions, Mm -hmm. making us think that we should push those aside, push your needs aside. They don't matter. Mm Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, I I can't help but think that there's, like, similar roots in it. And there kind of is, actually. Um, I blame the Greeks. <laughs> I I was interested in re, in like understanding like what was the root of patriarchal thinking like because the Egyptians were very like women played very important roles in their societies so uh-huh. what was it what when did patriarchy start like we know that we have like Adam and Eve and like biblical stories which are very like sexist but like the Greeks wrote those stories so where did where did they come from and it actually has to do with how it seems like it has to do with how Hippocrates understood men versus women on like a medical level, on a biological mm-hmm. level, because they couldn't like di- um, they didn't we didn't they didn't have tools for like um, dissecting people, so they didn't know what was on the inside. They only could imagine like what people were like, and they noticed that. Oh my god! And they noticed that women bled. And so they were like, oh, well, women clearly get a lot of, uh, they bleed a lot, which is, you know, bad, but also bad for their soul. And so in in the same time that Hippocrates was coming up with this, Plato was starting to think about um, the concept of a soul versus body and how the soul and like doing things for the soul is good and righteous and doing things for the body is fine, but like it's mutually exclusive. So if you do good Mm. things for your body, you do bad things for your soul. And they they realized, oh, well, women get a lot of ecstasy from, like, from sex. And they thought childbirth. So they're like, oh, well, women, like, if we, if women focused on their soul, 
their body would deteriorate and they would be miserable. So mm. we have to fo- we have to let women have to just focus on the body and thus they cannot attain any like mm. any soul level. Mm. Interesting, interesting, interesting. Yeah. Mm. Which is, you know, so you see these like these seeds of what later became like the concepts that are the backbone of Abrahamic religions and capitalism Mm. and like Mm. how societies are structured today. Yes, I believe that a women's unique role as life givers is part of the reason that the patriarchy wants control. Oh, for sure. I think it's jealousy. Because mm-hmm. that's the one thing that men or that like males can't do. And men especially can't. Do. Yes, it's the most scarce resource. Mm-hmm. And and to put it under their control means. Uh, limiting and minimizing their status as people. Yeah. And it means saying like women don't have to, any yeah. worth. It mm-hmm. means diminishing your self-worth. And that's why they all like don't like the they never liked the idea of psychedelics because it helps us. Yeah, these bitches are panicked. <laughs> <laughs> they are as they should be. As, as they, they should. Ah, oh, the technology is there. Men are about to be obsolete. Yes, they are. <laughs> um, Reproduction so sends men. We've been running a little, a little long, um, and you have to read. Ev- oh wait, you did a random. Page. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't do you, know. Do you have that any was, final was, thoughts before we before we conclude? I can read another one if you want. I thought your high journal was less structured. I was oh oh for oh, oh sorry, that thought. was my philosophy journal. I have my yeah. High go journal back to your too. trip journal. Pick one out of your random trip journal. I want to hear a rando out of that. Okay, okay. This is my most recent one. <clears throat> Cycles are part of our story, but what drives us to want to come back to the beginning? Is it nostalgia, or is there a fundamental truth in these cycles? As I try to focus on putting ink on paper, I am battling the demons of my eternity. But it isn't a demon or a sequence of demons. It's me. This broken writing is me. Am I in these words? Am I in this ink? (laughs) The sun is bathing me in the glorious warmth. I should take a break. (laughs) (laughs) I am an an observer. I know, right? I am an observer at the edge, but what is the edge? I was imagining a convex edge where the parts that I understood was bound by the edge. But is it bounded or is it birthed? There is no start or end in a cycle, but there is. The loop itself is the start, the end, the everything. The drive to make new life, the drive to consume more resources, the drive to understand, the drive to exist is the same as the drive for stars to consume and end and birth. Math, language, stories, songs, Genetic sequences, scars on the landscape is just all an attempt to find us. We aren't just the authentic chaos within us. We are also part of the chaos around us. Being an observer at the edge means maybe recognizing that we aren't in a prison. We're in a womb. 
this cycle will have no end, and that is beautiful. We are part of these cycles. That is that is how you think. That <laughs> is how you think and write. You're writing all in one stream of consciousness. Yeah, yeah, that was my stream. Yeah. Wow. Wow. My writing style is much different. Your sounds like it's prose. <laughs> it's just how I think. So, you know, it's easy for me to like just keep just go. It's fun. Wow. It's a lot of fun. Wow. Wow. Well, thanks for sharing. And thank you for yeah. joining us, Tessa. It was so much Always. fun to chat. We did it. We did it. <laughs> <laughs> the mushroom showdown finally happened. Finally. Oh, it's so good. I really just feel like the benefits that it, the potential it has for changing people's lives is endless. It's enormous. It's enormous. And I never really understood it until I tried it. Yeah. So yeah. I recommend trying it. Try a little bit. Just a microdose, yeah. you know, just to start off. Yes. Don't be scared. You might be surprised. And even if you are scared, it's worth it. Come out on the other side. Yeah. So thank and you again for joining us, ends. Tessa. And thank you again for listening. If you're watching on YouTube or Spotify, make sure to like and share the podcast. Uh, subscribe to the channel. Uh, follow us on Instagram for more updates. And uh, I'll be traveling uh, over the course of November, so I might put out some episodes if I can. If not, well, enjoy Thanksgiving. And as always, embrace your chaos with kindness. <laughs>